Welcome to EuroDollar University with Jeff Snyder. We're going to be talking about the EuroDollar futures curve inversion deepening very, very deep Mariana Trench type deep. Now we're going to find out why that's important. But for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, the EuroDollar futures curve was the first curve that inverted several months before, two, three months before, four. How many months, Jeff? One, two, three, four. No, three months before oh. the U.S. Treasury curve. Don't make me do calendar. Calendar math is so hard. <laughs> so I we, don't know. Is it four months? I think it's four months. We got a warning months before the mainstream media said the U.S. Treasury curve had inverted. The Eurodollar futures curve had warned us earlier. And Jeff, we're going to be talking about that it's really deepening. You're going to tell us why. And then you're going to corroborate the message that is coming to us from this Eurodollar futures curve by taking a brief look at China and maybe a few other markets. For the audience who wants to read along, they can. They're going to have to look for a title called Not Just Recession, U.S. Dollar Deflation. But where can they read along, Jeff? They have to go to marketsinsiderpro.com and sign up using their email they get a package of, of research products free of charge for the time being. It's my stuff. You know, I have this weekly deep dive, which is the stuff I used to post on the blog. There's a new daily briefing product uh, where you go over macroeconomic and market stuff that's going on every day. Steve Van Meter has got so his market uh, Momentum Timer Pro is available there, along with another oil and gas focused investment product from Tracy Shukart. Um, so marketsinsiderpro.com, sign up and get all this stuff for free for a limited time. You know, Jeff, I wish we could go back and redo that intro because I think the key, the key takeaway from your article here is that it's not just a recession warning, right, Jeff? What's happening right now in the Eurodollar futures market seems to have transgressed, tra transversed past the, hey, it's going to be a recession. It's, it's concerning, Jeff. And you call it, let's see, the current curve is unprecedented in many respects. There's a 124 basis point inversion from peak to trough. That sounds like a lot. Is it a lot, Jeff? That's an enormous amount. It really is. You think about, we were talking about the first, uh, in, as you said, in the initial Eurodollar futures inversion on December 1st, 2021. And it yeah, was a basis point. I remember. <laughs> it was a single basis point. And we were like, oh, we made a oh huge deal of it. I remember, Jeff. Wow. <laughs> now it's because it was, it was a big deal. As we say, anytime a curve gets out of its upward sloping shape, it should grab your attention because it should be upward sloping. It needs to be upward sloping. Upward sloping is beautiful. Upward sloping is optimistic. Upward sloping is normal. And so anytime a curve even starting to flatten, I mean, we've been talking about flattening curves with alarm and uh, any, other, any number of other words uh, since last year. But then when you get to inversion, inversion is one of those things where you're like, okay, it takes an enormous amount of uncertainty, fear, whatever, to get a curve to go upside down, to get it out of its beautiful upward sloping shape into something so distorted, so ugly, that you have to look at it and say, even if it's just one basis point between two contracts on the curve, two directly adjacent contracts on the curve, just one basis point, that's something you have to pay attention to. Now, it's not earth shattering. It's not, oh my God, the end of the world, but it's saying, Something has gone from maybe there's a problem to, okay, there's now a problem. 
So if a one basis point inversion among two adjacent contracts is, okay, there's now a problem, what is a 124 basis point uh, inversion across many contracts on the curve that makes the curve look at it? The shape right now is something I don't remember ever seeing in any uh, past episode. So if we were concerned in December, what are we now in July? It's, uh, it's not just about recession. There's something else going on here. And that something else might be maybe another global financial crisis. I know I'm putting words in your mouth, yes. Jeff, but this would be number three in the last 15 years. And in this, that's the worry. Sure. That's the concern. If you're looking in the deep, dark recesses of what is downside risk actually mean, and I'm not saying it's going to be 2008 like, or even 2008 a repeat. That's not, I mean, we're never going to see a 2008 crisis again because the world moves on and world changes. We're not going to see a rash of bank failures. Like there's not going to be another Lehman Brothers because banks by and large, uh, most of them have fortified their own balance sheets. The individual institutions will be fine. Whereas the system as a whole suffers for the individual institutions fortifying their own balance sheet, which creates a different set of problems like those we experienced in March of 2020, which is why we've said, Emil, you've said this enough all the time too, that the standard of evaluating March of 2020 was not that we didn't see a repeat of Lehman Brothers. It's something very different. It's that the system broke down and came very close to becoming something even worse than it was. But for the grace of the treasury market issuing treasury bills in April, by accident, maybe it would have become something worse. So what we're looking at here is not a replay of 2008, but something is potentially devastating in its own way, in its own way that we can't really predict at this current time because we don't really know all the intricacies, all the details behind all the shadow money stuff. We can reasonably guess. I mean, we've been talking about collateral repo fails, obscene premiums on T-bills and all those things. So it's, it's kind of familiar in the respect that we suspect the collateral shortage. We suspect euro bonds and junk bonds and all those things. We don't have all the details, all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So the curve is telling us, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but there's something there that we're really, really, really worried about that, we're, that the curve shape has gone so far upside down that we haven't seen this level of inversion since, and this is the thing, September 2007. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because you, you've mentioned 2008 a few times. I've mentioned the global financial crisis. In your article, you compare the euro dollar futures curve inversion presently to what we saw in the past. Let's talk about the volatility of that terrible global financial crisis. Tell us, how does this euro dollar inversion compare to what we saw then? Well, back in, two, you got to remember, September 2007, September 2007, September 2007. Market broke the global financial, the first global financial crisis began in August of 2007 when the euro dollar futures curve was about 40 basis points inverted. So we didn't get to this level of inversion in, the, in this part of the particular part of the curve, the near term spreads of the curve back then until it was early September 2007, just weeks away from the Federal Reserve's very first panicky rate cut. So to get to that level of distortion in the euro dollar curve in 2007, the financial crisis itself had already begun and the Fed's emergency rate cut was only weeks away from that point. So that kind of punctuates what it took. It you know, really clarifies what it took 
to get the euro dollar futures market that upside down and that distorted the last time we were in this same shape, which tells us, okay, the risks here are not just about recession in the United States or even a global recession. There's something a little bit more to it here. Quote from your article, let me reiterate, it took a total breakdown of the global reserve currency system, full-blown euro dollar one for anything close to the same level of inversion we see right now. Another quote, there has to be more to it than simple economic macro contraction, more than just a recession. And you list, you mentioned them earlier, some other signals that corroborate this volatility that we're seeing in the euro dollar futures market, repo fails, uh, massive premium being paid on treasury bills, the US dollar exchange value. And we'll leave all those for another show because we're going to talk about China now and the upheaval they're seeing in their import export bill. Volatility, right, Emil? That, and people ask us all the time what we're supposed to do about volatility. And the name of the game is always uncorrelated assets. So you have to look in other places to find uncorrelated asset classes. Something like high-end artwork. You know, I don't know if you know, you know, there was a couple big art sales like Andy Warhol's Maryland, the Macklow Collection. Those went for big money back in May of this year, back when the markets were going haywire, including the bond market. The bond market was selling off. Yeah, we had these record sales in art. If you're really looking for uncorrelated asset classes as a way to shelter yourself from volatile markets, there's a company called Masterworks that offers a way to get into the high-end artwork. You know, exclusivity, scarcity are the names of the games behind uncorrelated assets. And they shared with us their data-driven strategies and their valuation methods that they use to find what they think will be artwork with the greatest potential for not just appreciation, but appreciation in any investment climate, which is why they only ended up buying about, what is it, 2.4% of all the artwork pieces that they analyze. So if you're looking for a serious way to get into uncorrelated asset classes, take a look at artwork. Masterworks offers what they think is a very good solution to the volatility problem, to volatility across all of these markets. They believe that they have the potential to what we're talking about all year on this show, which is markets going haywire volatility. Because there's so much demand for their product, there's a waiting list to get into it. But because of their sponsorship of our show, they're allowing us to give our viewers who click in the links in the description to skip the line, to go priority access to their material, to the investments. And so all that stuff is in the description. And if you're serious about uncorrelated asset classes, protecting yourself from volatility, take a look at Masterworks because we think they offer a pretty good, good solution to it. Jeff, the, I don't think the audience would think, well, let's look to China for Euro dollar insight. But where else would you look at? Which country, where else would you look at? China is the prime recipient of the euro dollar. And for years, they have done something with their imports and exports. This is not the first time what we're going to describe, whereby they say, you know what? We need to hold back some of the dollars we're paying out. We need as many dollars coming in as possible, but hold on the selling of dollars, of sending the dollars out of our country, out of our purse. And that's by looking at exports and imports. And for the last several months, Jeff, you have reported that their exports are reasonably not terrible, reasonably not terrible, but their imports are dead. <laughs> that's a good dead, term. Zero. <laughs> <-ish, laughs> meaning 
money yeah. coming in, buying very little. That has a lot to do with, you know, that uh, impacts commodities, of course. But go on. You, t- you tell this story better than I can. Well, no, it's reasonably not terrible on exports, but suspiciously flat, you know, thinking in the minds of a central planner, zero uh, percent growth or around zero percent growth with some minor variations is a telltale sign of central planning, telltale sign of manipulation and obviously an intentional policy. And as you just described, Emil, we look at China because China has the biggest dollar problem mm. anywhere, maybe even including mm. the U.S., uh, China needs more dollars than anybody else to participate in global markets, to intermediate and to have intermediated financial flows in and out of China. They need dollars more than anybody. And at times, if the euro dollar system is not providing dollars, you would look to the biggest dollar client to say, can we detect what's going on with the dollar system by the behavior of the biggest dollar need or the biggest dollar uh, short actually in the world? And if the biggest dollar need starts saying, starts doing things that are, you know, they're not going to say it, they're not going to publicize this, but if they start doing things how they act, if they start, for example, holding the line on exports, a very clear, invisible line, not exports, excuse me, imports, which means they're saying we're not going to import in as much material as maybe we actually need because we're more concerned about conserving the dollars that we would have to use to pay for these imports. They're prioritizing dollar conservation over imported material, money over economy. That's a pretty powerful signal of what they perceive of their own uh, situation with regard to dollar sufficiency, redistribution and flexibility, all that good stuff in the euro dollar system. Jeff, any final thoughts, including where people can get a hold of your work? It's not where it used to be. It's still on real clear markets. You do a essay there. And then you have a column at Epic Times, E-P-O-C-H Times. But where else can people reach you, get your work? They can go to our home flagship page, which is eurodollar.university for both Emil and I, all the stuff about the show. There's membership opportunities where we'll have exclusive videos, exclusive content that will be available. They can find this research. Again, as I said, marketsinsiderpro.com. Sign up there. We're going to, we have, there's other uh, financial stuff available, other research products. Um, if you're an investor looking for a portfolio strategy, portfolioshield.net. I'm working with Atlas Financial, Steve Van Meter. You can check that out there as well. Mm-hmm.